2: Simpler Communications.
1: This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader, giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy.
2: Gobble, 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 gobble. Welcome in, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Streaming to you live on social media now at belly up MDFF Show, And of course, subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. we check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app as we are available everywhere for you. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Thank you so much for joining me on this happy Thanksgiving. We got a comment right off the bat. A happy gobble cobble to you too. We got some stuff to break down, but I was actually waiting. We we're a little bit, we we're a couple minutes late. I was trying to wait for that Cowboy Raider game to actually finally finish up because I wanted to recap the two earlier games. Now, of course we're going live while the Saints Buffalo game is kicking off. And of course, in that one, we had Mark Ingram. He's out. We already knew about Abba Kamara. It sounds like Tony Jones Jr. Ty Montgomery and a, Maybe another name or two is going to be mixed into the running backfield tonight. Something to watch for. We'll see if the Saints are able to do anything offensively against the Buffalo Bills. If anything happens in that game while we're live, it's no different than it would be a typical Thursday night game. We're going to react to it if any big news happens. But mostly this show is going to be about recapping the two earlier games. What happened today? How do you take things moving forward? And then also previewing the late slate of Week 12 matchups. AKA the late afternoon games, the Sunday night game and the Monday night game. And I want to get you guys up to date in case you missed yesterday's episode. If you did go back on your favorite pod app, but if you missed yesterday's episode, I want to get you guys up to date on the notable injury news updates before we get into all of our wonderful fantasy football minutia. So let's go ahead and kick off the show doing that first
1: breaking news.
2: All right, so again, these are the injury updates from the episode that we talked about yesterday. When I say we, I mean me and Chris Dalhauer. We talked about all the early slate games along with the Thanksgiving games, but go ahead and check out that episode when you get the chance to do so. First up, I want to give you guys an update. Damian Harris was limited again in practice today. I actually see that as a good sign. If he's limited two days in a row, leading into Friday, as long as he gets another limited session in tomorrow, he, will actually, he should be good to go, which could be big. He might be getting a bump up in his fantasy value because today, Ramondre Stevenson got added to the injury report with a knee issue. So now all of a sudden we have to now evaluate tomorrow. We'll keep you up to date on social media at Billy show. But we got to be able to evaluate tomorrow if Ramondre Stevenson's actually going to be good enough to go or how severe the knee injury that caused him to be limited in practice today Was so something to kind of keep in mind heading into your practice reports tomorrow morning. Cordell Patterson was limited in practice again today as well. Now, some of these were an estimated injury report, uh, because some some guys did some teams did give their players off for Thanksgiving Day, but Cordell Patterson projected to be limited again. He's on his way, I believe, to playing. If he plays, you're playing him as an RB2. Sterling Shepard and Kadarius Tony both listed as did not practice. This was another one that was an estimated practice report. They didn't actually go through ahead and practice today, but Kadarius Toney missing two in a row, Sterling Shepard missing two in a row. It's starting to become more likely, unless one of these guys practices in some capacity tomorrow, it's becoming more and more likely that Sterling Shepard and Kadarius Toney are going to be out of this game against the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. So that'll open up more targets for Kenny Galladay and for Darius Slayton, maybe some more for Evan Ingram as well, and a couple few extra dump-offs most likely for Saquon Barkley. Remember, the slot receiver is what you want to target against Daniel Jones. They might not have one tomorrow, so that could be a mixture of Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, and Daniel Jones having to actually force-feed it and force himself to throw to the perimeter, something he really has not wanted to do this year. Plus, we got to figure out exactly what this giant offense is going to look like now that Jason Garrett's not there. That'll be to be determined as we move through here. Then we have uh, Michael Carter. We know he's out for the next two weeks. The Jets reports came out. Corey Davis did not practice today. So that was crucial. He picked up the groin injury and practice yesterday, caused him to be limited, and then today he was unable to practice. If he's not able to practice again tomorrow, I would not count on having Corey Davis as a top 36-ish wide receiver, but what it would do is, is give me confidence in being able to play Elijah Moore as a solid wide receiver three. Now, he doesn't come up to a wide receiver two for me. The reason why he doesn't, even though he's been on a hot streak lately, is because Zach Wilson. We have to see... Zach Wilson has a couple things going on. First of all, the last time we saw him, he wasn't throwing the ball to anybody not named Corey Davis. Maybe a few dump-offs to James Crowder, but that was about it. The Jets' offense was wildly ineffective. And now he has... What several weeks of rust that he's got to knock off on top of it, so it's going to be a tricky situation. But if Corey Davis is out of the lineup, then I think we would be a little bit more confident because we'll know that in in a in his case, he'll get a, Elijah Moore. That is, he'll get a few more targets heading into this week to kind of solidify the floor to ceiling ratio that you're looking for if you're looking to play in Elijah Moore. Mike Evans did not practice again today. Now there doesn't seem to be a lot of over concern about Mike Evans being available heading into this week, but it is worth noting, right? He's got a back injury or back stiffness is what they were calling it, but a back injury that's not allowed in the practice past couple of days. We want to see him be able to practice in some capacity tomorrow. As it stands right now, I do lean more towards the side of he's going to be active and playing. The only question is going to be, will you be limited? Now, in Mike Evans' case, too, it's a little bit of a trickier situation because he's the type of guy who can barely practice or maybe not even practice at all and be completely fine for the game on Sunday because he's just he's that good, and they can play overly cautious with him, especially being that Antonio Brown might be a week away. Uh, in his case, you don't want to ruin that. We saw Chris Godwin a couple of weeks ago, not practice until Friday, be limited with a foot injury, a lot of concern, be a game-time call, go out there and got his usual workload of targets and snaps and everything else so i'm going to lean on the side of i am not concerned about mike evans at least not just yet anyway uh antonio brown did want to mention him because he is looking like he might be able to be back for week 13 bruce aarons came out and said he's hopeful for a week 13 return that's the first time that he's actually put a specific date in mind for an antonio brown return so it does give you some hope that he is progressing in the right direction and he will be returning sooner rather than later. Your main thing with Antonio Brown is that he is a wide receiver three who's got high-end wide receiver two upside because of that offense, and Tom Brady loves him. I think Tom Brady hasn't really been Tom Brady since he hasn't had Antonio Brown at his disposal. Things go hand-in-hand here. So Antonio Brown, to me, is a must-play high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two, somewhere in that range with some upside the second he is back. I'm not worried about that Brady I think really kind of needs him. Even with Gronk back and everything like that, he loves being able to have Antonio Brown out there. So once he's out there, I think you can play him. It looks like he might be on his way back for a return next week. Something to kind of just keep in mind there. That pretty much does it for the notable injury updates that we had to get you guys up to speed on before we head into the week. Because obviously this is the Thursday night and a Friday morning show. So this is going to be the last one you get as far as those injury updates are concerned with our fantasy analysis. But if you follow us on social media, at BillyUpMDFFShow, we'll keep you up to date throughout the weekend on the player news notifications and what our fantasy values are on that. And of course, I'll be updating my rankings all throughout the weekend, too, at BillyUpFantasySports.com. Make sure you check them out there. Keep getting the edge for your lineups. All right, now we got that out of the way. Let's dive into the recap. For the two day games that we had for Thanksgiving, obviously the Saints and Buffalo Bills game going on as we record. Again, something big happens there. We'll react to it. By the way, Dawson Knox did just score a touchdown if you're watching this and not that game. Uh Dan asking again about Patterson, Cordell Patterson practice. I'll reiterate practice in limit capacity. If he, he should he should be on his way to playing. If he plays, you're playing him as an RB2. So no need to worry about Cordell Patterson. So let's let's talk about the Bears Lions game. We all knew. That from an NFL standpoint, we were dreading the fact that this was going to be the matchup to kick off the Thanksgiving Day festivities at 12 o'clock Eastern time. And while we were all dreading it from an NFL standpoint, we wound up having to now dread it from a fantasy standpoint too. Because DeAndre Swift, who's been one of the few bright spots when it comes to the running backs this season, goes down... Has a shoulder sprain. We don't know a timeline as of yet. We probably won't find out a timeline until early next week. Because keep in mind, this is Thanksgiving, but this is a Thursday game. So treat it as such. When guys get injured on Thursday, you might find out what the injury is. But most of the time, you don't find out what the timeline or severity of it is until, say, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday of next week. Now, the good news for DeAndre Swift is that if it's not that severe he does have the extra 10 days off to give himself a chance to be able to be active for next week. If it does wind up being severe, Jamal Williams obviously will take over as the workhorse back. That's what he did in this game. Jamal Williams had 15 carries for 65 yards and also tacked on five targets, five catches, 18 yards in the passing game, which is mostly he's been involved in the receiving game, even when he was active before, because before he went down for injury, he kind of gotten phased out of that role completely. So, Jamal Williams will be probably a low-end RB2 based on volume given we know this offense has to use the running backs. Believe it or not, without DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams is the best (laughs) offensive player for Detroit. That's how sad it is. and Why the NFL feels that we have to stick to tradition and continue to play this terrible franchise known as the Detroit Lions to just watch them torture us to kick off our Thanksgiving days, I'll never understand. But, Nonetheless, we have to wait and find out exactly what's going to happen with DeAndre Swift moving forward, something I don't think we're going to know yet until later on, probably not until next week. Outside of that, TJ Hawkinson got a little bit banged up. He was able to play most of this game, didn't have his normal volume, but did something he has not done in a really long time. He scored a touchdown this game. Three catches, 35 yards on three targets, gets the touchdown, so he saves your fantasy day. That stat line, even though it's not pretty, will probably be enough to make him a top 10 tight end by the end of the week. Because that's 35 yards and a touchdown is basically all takes. Unfortunately, but it is true. The only other thing to really talk about Detroit Lions, from a fantasy standpoint anyway... is that Josh Reynolds is creeping up there in his playing time. He was about even with Amon Ross, St. Brown, as far as snaps and routes run. was about even with him with targets, had one more target than St. Brown did in this game. Now, most of his production, of course, came on the big 39-yard touchdown, three catches, 70 yards with that touchdown. The only reason it's somewhat interesting is because there has been times this season where the number one wide receiver, if it's a, bona fide number one receiver within the offense as in they are getting the majority of the targets they are the featured piece they've had some fantasy value it's trending more towards that being josh reynolds if it's going to be anybody i'm not rushing to the waiver wire to pick up a josh reynolds i still need to see more of it before i can trust it it's still detroit lions offense which is very shaky at best but here's what i will say so it's going to miss some time These targets, this offense, is going to have to attack other areas of the field with other players. Josh Reynolds, I would figure, would be probably one of the more beneficiary players to that. So something just kind of keep in mind the back of your heads if you're in deeper leagues. He still probably wouldn't be anything more than a wide receiver four for me. But we are getting to the part of the season where the waiver wire is just desolate, flat out, just desolate. There's just not much to grab anywhere. So just kind of keep that in mind in the back of your heads. On the Chicago side, I they made a big deal about this at the end of the game, and I'm not really sure why. Were they, oh, the Bears won, Matt Nagy gets to save his job. Look, I, as far as Matt Nagy keeping his job, it had nothing to do with the outcome of this game. Now, maybe if Detroit wins this game, maybe the rumors did come true and he would get fired before next week, I don't know. But he's going to, if it's not if it wasn't for the Chicago Bears organization, being an organization that never fires a coach in season. I would say it's a given that he'll get fired during the season at some point, especially if the reports wind up being true. And I believe they are because they're coming from multiple sources that the lion, that the bears, excuse me, the bears players have lost faith in Matt Nagy and no one he's lost the locker room. No one really believes in him. So yes, they come away with the win in this game, but it was still 16 to 14 against a winless lions team. I don't know how you feel great about that. And it came down to a last game-winning field goal to pull this off. And had Detroit not continuously shot themselves in the foot and Dan Campbell not been so reckless with his timeouts and calling back-to-back timeouts, having a stupid penalty at the end, Chicago might not have won this game. It was that close. So I don't know how confident you really feel coming out of this just because it was a victory. Now, from a fantasy standpoint, though, we got to love some Darnell Mooney here five receptions goes over 100 yards again has 123 yards eight targets as long as alan robinson is out darnell mooney will be in the top 24 wide receiver two territory he's just seeing flat out too many targets to not be considered there plus he has the big play potential and it doesn't really matter if it's andy dalton or justin fields i think i actually prefer to be andy dalton he's just a better thrower of the football right now justin fields still trying to develop, is very raw, has a longer learning curve than most rookies do in his situation. But it doesn't matter because even Fields was getting the ball to Mooney over Allen Robinson when they're both on the field anyway. So if he's going to be the only guy out there and Allen Robinson is going to continue to miss time with the hamstring injury, Darnell Mooney is a very nice play as long as that continues to be the case. Now when Allen Robinson comes back, I still think we have to view Darnell Mooney's number one receiver because he's been the number one receiver for several weeks now. But his target share gets cut I would say almost in half to the point where you're throwing Darnell Mooney out there on the hope that he makes a big play. But for now, continue to play Mooney as long as Allen Robinson misses. And the other thing I liked about this game from a fantasy standpoint was the snap share between Cole Komet and Jimmy Graham. I was a little bit terrified. Chris actually talked about Cole Komet being a guy he had his eye on heading into this game last night. Which I didn't totally disagree with, but my concern was that Jimmy Graham played almost the same amount of snaps as Cole Komet did on Sunday. And I just wasn't sure if this was a Matt Nagy thing where all of a sudden he's like, you know what, I'm going out, I'm going with the guys I love. And clearly he's always had an affinity for Jimmy Graham, hence the idiotic contract, hence the idiotic usage over the past couple of seasons. So I was a little bit concerned about that. But today it went back to being normal and went back to what it should be. Cole Komet dominated the snaps he had. 60 snaps compared to Jimmy Graham's 14, by far ran the most routes, and he actually walked away with double-digit targets in this game as well, which you like to see. Eight catches, 65 yards. Now, Cole Komet's not going to be anything more than a mid-level, streamable tight end, too. But he is a guy who's in that mix who should be on your radar moving forward, and this game kind of solidifies for me that he's not going to get, you know, eaten away at because, for some reason, Matt Nagy suddenly decides he wants to use Jimmy Graham. The disappointing side would be David Montgomery. Now, he's not going to be the reason you lose, necessarily, but he had a disappointing game in this one. He was in my top 12. This against Detroit. It's David Montgomery. We we know his talent and the usage he gets. And they weren't able to do anything on the ground. This is something we got to watch. The past month now, teams have not been as successful on the ground against Detroit as you would expect them to be. We've had a few RB1s go up against Detroit and have decent performances, nice performances, but not go bonkers the way you expect them to when you're playing against a team like Detroit. So something to watch. As of late, they're playing tough. They play physical. And as a result, the running games might not be as juicy as we thought. Now, I'm not saying that we're we're scared about, you know, playing our running backs against Detroit or anything else like that. But maybe it's not the... You know, gold at the end of the rainbow scenario that we feel like it should be and was in the beginning of the season. Some things have changed a little bit, especially over the past month here. Now, Chicago's offensive line got dominated in this game. And that, that was definitely part of it. David Montgomery himself, 70 carries, 46 yards, only 2.7 yards a carry. Very disappointing there. Tax on three receptions for 28 yards. Better days are ahead for David Montgomery. He's still a high end RB2, in my book. He's still a workhorse back on an offense that's going to need to use him. So I'm not worried about this. I'm just a little disappointed by the performance in this one against Detroit. Jared Goff, by the way, was was solid in this game. The only thing you care about Jared Goff is that he's able to keep this offense at least efficient enough where you can key in on certain guys being fantasy relevant. That's it. I will mention Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton went over 300 yards in this game. Could be his last start. They're saying Justin Fields will be back next week. Good job by you, Eddie Dalton. You found a way to win a game on national television, and you went over 300 yards. It had to be against the Detroit Lions, but you did do it. So good job, Eddie Dalton. Hopefully we don't have to see you again the rest of the season, if any of us are lucky at all. So now we got this boring game out of the way. Let's talk about this crazy game, this insane game that just ended between the Dallas Cowboys and the Las Vegas Raiders. It was absolutely insane. Every single part of it, thirty six to thirty three, the Raiders win in overtime on a field goal. But they dominated this whole game. It wasn't until the fourth quarter, the second half, really in general, that the Dallas Cowboy offense finally came to life. Finally, finally came to life. Dak Prescott was struggling. The receivers weren't able to get off the line. They weren't. They were getting manhandled by the man coverage of the Raiders. It was blowing my mind. Michael Gallup, the first three quarters, had one target. That's where we were sitting at. But it came through at the end. Five catches, 106 yards on eight targets. And Cedric Wilson, who was a guy that a lot of people were playing if C.D. Lamb was, in fact, going to be ruled out, and he eventually did, he goes over 100 yards on seven receptions and 10 targets in this game in his own right. So both guys played really well in this matchup, took advantage of the opportunities in front of them. It was nice. I think Michael Gallup is still a wide receiver three moving forward. But Amari Cooper will be back next week. CeeDee Lamb will be back next week. I can pretty much guarantee you that because it only took the independent neurologist to deny C D Lamb to get back in this game it was a Thursday. So feel pretty confident in saying both of those guys will be back next week. If I'm not mistaken, this is off the top of my head, so I might be wrong about this, but I believe Dallas actually plays the Thursday night game next week. So they get a normal full week off to play the Thursday night game, but we will see them early in the week, in week 13. So with both those guys on the field, Giap goes to be a boom or bust wide receiver three, who has the ability to hit the big play will be involved. We've seen this offense sort of transition in its volume a bit lately, where they're throwing the ball a bit more than they were earlier on in the season when, you know, we're a bit frustrated with Dak's fantasy value and CeeDee Lamb's fantasy value and Amari Cooper's fantasy value because they were running the ball so much and so effectively. But with the offensive line being a little bit banged up, Zeke being a little bit banged up, and more importantly, teams now figuring out and scoring on this Dallas Cowboy defense They've had to go back to being a little bit more aggressive on offense, which is allowing more throws to be had, allowing more targets to be had. Because this game against the Raiders, they were down early and by multiple scores, and that's why we had, to, we had the game script that we did, and they scored, so we had a big shootout here, and it was nice to see, especially after the first game. But this isn't a, a, an, ab, an aberration. Teams lately are finding ways to score against the Dallas Cowboys. They've figured out that they'll give up those big plays because they're looking for the turnovers. And that's it. That's what the Cowboys defense is trying to do. They're trying to get sacks. They're trying to get turnovers. They're not really necessarily trying to keep points off the board. As weird as that is to say, that's kind of how they're built. They're built to get the ball back to their offense as much as they possibly can. So as a result, we're going to see Dak have more of these high-volume games. He had 47 pass attempts in this one, 32 completions, 375 yards, two touchdowns. Again, the entire Dallas offense, from a fantasy standpoint, really didn't come to life until the second half. Because Dak was looking brutal. I thought I was going I to I die having him as a top six quarterback this week. Gallup was giving me the sweats. I had made him a wide receiver too. I had made Cedric Wilson a top 36 wide receiver with C.D. Lamb out. And Dalton Schultz was a top 10 tight end. Everybody wound up coming through because of the second half that they had, thankfully. Because Dalton Schultz, three catches, 46 yards, and a touchdown, seven targets on this one. Now, Dal- I, I've talked about Schultz in the past. I said, look, Michael Gallup comes back Schultz is going to be the victim. I still believe that's going to be the case. Now it takes Amari Cooper and CD lamb to, you know, actually be on the field for that, to, to for that to be the case. I do believe that will be, you know, starting next week. So Schultz's volume bugs me a little bit. He got seven targets in this game. I don't know if this is going to be a guy who's going to be consistently involved. Here's what I will say. I just talked about how I think Dallas is in a position right now. Where they have to throw the ball a bit more than they were earlier on the season
0: More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: It's rare to find a gift that you know everyone on your list will love. That's what you get with an incredibly soft blanket from Mickey Couture. With hundreds of different styles and sizes of Minky Couture blankets, you'll find a gift that they are sure to love every single day of the year. Shop the best deals of the season at MinkyCouture.com.
2: If that continues, there then may, there may be enough volume for Schultz to continue to eat as a top 12 tight end. But if they're able to go back at all to the way things were in the beginning of the season or balance out in any kind of way, Schultz will be the first victim. So for me, I think he's still somewhere near that top 12, but he is going to fall down my list just a little bit, be more kind of in the streaming territory matchup based than being a guy that I'm fully confident to play in my top 10 every single week, no matter what with everybody coming back. Now we have the backfield to talk about. Now I, we, we talked about this yesterday. I said, look, if you have Zeke, you're still playing him. And it came through ultimately only nine carries at 25 yards, but he does get the rushing touchdown earlier on the game does tack on six receptions for 24 yards. It gives you the floor there with the half point PPR, four point PPR and receptions. He was clearly not hundred percent. We didn't expect him to be. And this game in the second half had to completely transition to a pass first offense. So they weren't running the football as much either. And Tony Pollard had 10 carries. So yes, he had one extra carry, But he only had 36 yards. He wasn't efficient either. 3.6 yards to carry. Tony Pollard's big play of the day was, of course, the kickoff return for a touchdown, which was great because we haven't seen one of those in a long time. (laughs) They're pretty much extinct now. So it was kind of cool to get that play. But from an actual usage running back standpoint, he was coming in to give Zeke breaks, who wasn't 100%. But he wasn't there to take over the job. He wasn't there to make this a 50 50 committee. And the fact that they went so past having the second half and Zeke still had more of the receptions, eight targets in this game, and was just out there more of the time, I think you're fine with Zeke moving forward. He'll continue to be a low end RB1 for me. And hopefully, with a full week next week heading into Thursday night game, he'll get a chance now to get a little bit of a break and get a little bit healthier. Pollard, though, four receptions, 32 yards. It wasn't like he was not involved. And until Zeke's 100%, or at least more than 75%, because I think it's what we're getting right now. I think we're getting like 60 to 75% of Zeke right now, as far as his health is concerned. Pollard will continue to be a top 36 play. He'll be a guy you can consider pushing in there in the flex, especially if you think the game script has a chance to be similar to this one, where it's high scoring. Although it's going to be hard to kind of top this game in too many weeks. As far as uh, the Raiders' side unfortunately, Darren Waller goes down with an injury early in this game. He looked like he was getting ready to have a huge day, too. Had the 100 yards on Sunday. Kicks off this game with two receptions for 33 yards and five targets, and this was all in the first half. He looked like he was on his way to having a huge day. But then he gets the knee injury. Saw the tackle. It didn't really look like anything severely twisted. It kind of looked like he landed on the knee. But whatever it was it caused him to have to miss the rest of the game. He wasn't able to come back in. And because of the knee injury, we always have to kind of worry about this a little bit. He was visibly upset that he couldn't get back into the game. And kind of it's the same situation with DeAndre. stuff, like I talked about, we know it's a knee injury. We're probably not going to know exactly what it is, how severe it is and what kind of timeline it is until early next week. But trust us, you know, follow us on social media at belly of show. We'll keep you on the date. But if he's out, That's a huge, that's a huge loss. If he's out, Foster Moreau, while he didn't have a big game in this one, he only had one catch for three yards on five targets, he would become the starting tight end. Now, Foster Moreau is not Darren Waller, obviously, but he is a guy who has a history of being able to find the end zone. So automatically, you should know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that if you can find the end zone consistently as a tight end, you become a tight end, too. You become a streamable option. That's it. So, for to me, Foster Moreau will be a streaming option available to you if Darren Waller is going to miss time. Now, I probably will still look for other pieces around. I'm not saying that if you lose out on Darren Waller, go pick up Foster Moreau like it's a handcuff on a running back situation. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think you can look that direction. That I do believe. As far as the rest of this game would actually happen, Hunter Renfro. If you played him, you had a great day. Eight receptions, 134 yards on nine targets. Now, so we we, we got some things we got to iron out here with Hunter Renfro. He's not typically a guy who's going to get you these hundred-yard performances. However, if Waller misses time. I do believe the majority of Waller's targets will go to Hunter Renfro. He operates in the middle of the field anyway. Those targets are going to have to go somewhere. Why wouldn't it be to the second most dependable passing option for Derek Carr and Hunter Renfro, who operates in a similar area of the field? So he's already a high-volume guy to begin with. You take out Darren Waller in that equation, you might be looking at somebody who is sniffing around double-digit targets every single week. And for a slot receiver he finds the end zone at a pretty decent rate too. So Hunter Renfro might be coming more of a solidified wide receiver too moving forward. If Darren Waller is going to miss some time, there are some waiver wires where he is still available out there because his name's Hunter Renfro. and No one ever gets excited by him. He's going to be a must add if he's out there. He's he's more than 50% owned. So he's not going to, he's not going to make the waiver wire report next week, but he is somebody to kind of take a look at, see what kind of league you're in. He might be available for you and he might be a really nice pickup too. Then we got Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson, three receptions, four targets, technically did get the start in this game, although still kind of played not as much as you would expect. 42 snaps, 24 routes run, but that was still clearly fourth amongst the receivers as far as playing time goes. So he started off the game, but he wasn't in there as much. Now, this is definitely a significant increase in his playing time overall since he's gotten to the Raiders. However, everyone played a lot in this game because they had to start throwing the ball a ton towards the end too because they were trying to keep pace with Dallas. So he comes away with the big performance. What does that mean? It means what it always means with Deshaun Jackson. He's a boom or bust wide receiver four, wide receiver five because he still isn't playing on the same level as a Zay Jones when it comes to playing time. He's just not. He's still significantly in fourth in the rotation. So when he's out there, they'll take his shots. So I think every single game, he will be a threat for a big play because he's Deshaun Jackson. They'll play him in that role when he is on the field. But unless he starts playing the same amount and overtakes Zay Jones's playing time at some point, I don't think you can ever really trust Deshaun Jackson in your life. You want to throw him in DFS? Have at it. But in redraft, I don't know that you could trust it, even with a nice performance here against Dallas in this game. We had the big 56-yard touchdown to kick things off and give us a little piece of what was going to be the rest of this game, a high-scoring affair. Zay Jones also had seven targets, five receptions, 59 yards. Here's all I'm going to say about Brian Edwards. You had all these points scored, all these passes thrown, all these routes run, no Darren Waller. He walked away with one target, one reception for 12 yards. The Brian Edwards breakout flat out is not going to happen. I like his talent. I like him as a player. He plays a ton. His utilization is there as far as routes, run, and snaps are concerned. But he doesn't get targeted. He's just out there to be a decoy, out there to be a blocker. That's it. So if you have Brian Edwards because you've been holding on, hoping that maybe there would be some sort of breakout at some point this season, it's not going to happen. This game should pretty much solidify that for you. Josh Jacobs had a decent game in this one. 22 carries, 87 yards. Comes away with the rushing touchdown. Two receptions, 25 yards on four targets. A little bit disappointed considering how involved in the passing game he had been as of late. But Kenyon Drake, two receptions, five yards on his two targets. So he still was well ahead of Kenyon Drake in both the carry and reception department. He is playing as a workhorse back, and in this game, he gets the touchdown. I was saying this before going into this week that he was a buy low candidate for me. If your trade deadlines had not passed, some leagues play the week 13. If they do. Go ahead and buy him low if you have the opportunity to do so. Because when these touchdowns start to progress, because he's been lower than the average, especially lower than his average with his touches when scoring touchdowns so far this season, when he starts to be scoring touchdowns like a Josh Jacobs and he has this passing volume to go ahead and pair with it, you're going to love the result you're going to get out of him down the stretch. I think Jacobs is potentially a league winner for people if his statistics progress in the way that they should the rest of the way. And Derek Carr gets himself back into the streaming conversation. 373 yards, has a passing touchdown. A big thing was that they did use Deshaun Jackson more. So while he played the fourth most in wide receivers, when he was out there, they took shots. If nothing else, just to open up the offense. I think that's a recipe for them moving forward, in particular, Derek Carr. If Jason Jackson's never going to play as much as the other three receivers, fine. But when he's out there, you have to use him to get defenses to respect you going deep. That's what they did in this game. Hopefully, it's a trend that continues. Because if it is, guys like Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller, you know, assuming he's going to be able to be back sooner rather than later, and Derek Carr himself will all be able to benefit from this. All right, so that's going to do it for the recap of Thanksgiving, the injury news updates from yesterday's show. What I want to do now is take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to preview the late slate of week 12 matchups for you, talk about the bets, talk about the fantasy football expectations. So, everybody, stay tuned to the MD's fantasy football show. We'll be back right after this. MD Nation, we want to welcome in a new sponsor of the show called Props Fantasy from PropsFantasy.com Props Fantasy is a website and app which allows users to import their season long fantasy teams to challenge other season long fantasy teams Their crucial difference is that you can challenge other teams that you are not playing in your league that week or aren't even in your league or not even on the same platform The idea behind Props Fantasy is to let casual season-long fantasy players use the teams they already have to engage in daily fantasy type contests for winnings. Users can wager anything from $1 up to 1000 on a head-to-head challenge. Props Fantasy even harmonizes the scoring. If you're in a PPR league and your opponent is not, Props Fantasy will default to a half-point PPR, or you can manually adjust it. They also handle things like standard lineup versus super flex. Their developers are fantasy football diehards and have thought of everything, including IDP. So if you think your season-long team is not just the best in your league, but the best in all leagues, this is your chance to find out and win money when you sign up for the Props Fantasy app today at PropsFantasy.com. So join in on the fun.
1: You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show.
2: Welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at Billy MDFF Show. And, of course, on the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. Please subscribe to get the chance. Check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. As always, I'm your host, Dan Maynard. Just recap the two afternoon Thursday games for you guys. Thanksgiving games for you guys. Went over the breaking news, injury updates from yesterday's slate that we previewed. Go back and check that out in your favorite pod app if you did not catch the show live or watch the video on social media on YouTube. Doesn't matter. Either one. But now let's go ahead and dive into the rest of the preview for week 12. The late slate of games, late afternoon games, the Sunday night game, the Monday night game. You know, the ones that are actually gonna probably make and or break you. Cause a lot of the crappy games are at one o'clock this week, or you know, early games, depending upon where you are in your time zone. The good games, the matches we care about, the ones that actually might be high scoring, the ones that might be like the Raiders Dallas game, those games are gonna be ones we're gonna want to watch. Those are all at the later slate this week. Got a quick question coming in though first. Who do you like? Bucks D versus Indy or Houston versus Jets? That's actually an interesting question. So the Houston defense, I know over the past couple of weeks have been turnover machines because a big part of that due to Ryan Tannehill throwing four picks last week. I will stick with Houston, but man, oh man, do I not feel good about it. I really, I really don't. I don't feel good about it. First of all, Tampa Bay actually has a decent defense, but the Jets are so terrible on offense, especially with Zach Wilson being back, who was a turn uh, turnover prone machine before he went out due to injury. And my thing about that Colts-Bucks game, we're going to talk about that here. It has all the makings of being a shootout in its own right. Tampa Bay, will, Vita Bay will be back. Des White will be back. But Colts have been doing pretty well on offense. They've been able to move the ball, especially through the air. You can still very much take advantage of this banged up secondary of Tampa Bay. So I'm going to sit here and say, I'd actually take the chance on Houston just getting you those extra turnovers over the Bucks defense. I don't feel great about it, but that's where we stand today. But let's get into the first game I want to talk about on this slate. And that's the Chargers and the Denver Broncos. So the Chargers have been a... You know what, They've been a typical Charger team, honestly. I was going to say they've been a hit-or-miss team. They've been an annoying team. They've been a Jekyll and Hyde team. But how is that different than the Chargers or any other year ever? <laughs> that's, just, that's just who they are. And apparently it doesn't matter who the head coach is. It doesn't matter if they have their quarterback or have good offensive pieces or not. It just, none of it matters. Justin Herbert is my QB seven this week. Denver secondary can be taken advantage of their past defense can be taken advantage of, although they have been playing over the past couple of weeks, playing, play, playing pretty well over the past couple of weeks. We'll see if that continues coming out of the bye. Now the chargers seem to be a little bit better on the road than they are at home. But ultimately it comes down to is a pass first team that has good weapons. I think you have to play Justin Herbert as a top 10 quarterback, but he has been incredibly hit or miss so far this season. I don't have any questions about Austin Eckler. He's my RB three on the week. If he's not scoring touchdowns, he's catching the ball. So either way you have a safe floor to ceiling ratio when it comes to Austin Eckler, the Denver defense is only good against bad rushing attacks or bad offenses in general, I should say when they actually play a good competent offense, the running backs have been able to do well. So on paper, it looks like it's going to be a, a, you know, a, a top 10 matchup against the running backs with Austin Eckler against Denver, but it's really not because when they play against competent teams, they give up all kinds of points. So that's why you're not worried about an Austin Eckler, And I'm not worried about a Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen has consistently all year long. He's like Deontay Johnson to me. just, Maybe he doesn't have quite the same touchdown upside that Deontay Johnson has, but they're pretty much the same guy. They're going to get you double-digit targets. They're probably going to get you close to 100 yards, and they're probably going to get you north of six or seven catches and probably get you even higher than that. So Keenan Allen, you feel safe about. He comes in at wide receiver 11 for me this week. You love him. Now we get to the ultimate question of Mike freaking Williams. Because, man, oh, man, is he frustrating. I come, He's coming in as wide receiver 26 for me. That's about what he is any given week. I don't think it matters if it's the charge or it matters if it's Denver or whatever the matchup may be. He's a boom or bust wide receiver three. I want you guys to keep in mind from last week, if you're getting super excited about Mike Williams you know, turning a corner again, supposedly, this was a guy who had four catches for 44 yards through – 58 minutes of that game, and didn't turn in the nice performance, which wound up being the five catches for 97 yards and a touchdown off the big game-winning bomb touchdown until the very end of the game. Up until that point, it was getting ready to look like another abysmal Mike Williams line that we had seen for the six weeks previous too. So that's why I said to you guys on, on the Monday recap, Mike Williams was going to be a sell high for me. If it was your trade deadline heading in the week twelve, maybe week thirteens your trade deadline, whatever the case may be, Mike Williams is a sell high to me. If you cannot sell him high for a consistent wide receiver two, or maybe if you're lucky enough an r b two the rest of the way, I wouldn't sell him off for anything else. I'm not going to sell him for another you know boomer bus wide receiver three option. that would be dumb. But if you can't sell him now for one of those options, you're pretty much going to be stuck with Mike Williams. And you have to know what it is you have in him. You have a boom or bust wide receiver three. There's no consistency anymore. I went over this a little bit. I'll reiterate it again. The reason is twofold. The first one being, his targets are now half of what Keenan Allen was. When he was performing really well, he was getting about the same amount of targets as a Keenan Allen. They were both getting about double digits. It was about a 1A, 1B as far as who Justin Herbert was looking to go to with the football. Since then, they've gone down. What happens now is that those targets for Mike Williams, because they didn't go to Keenan Allen. He's pretty much stayed the same. It's a mixture of Austin Eckler getting a couple extra targets, but the big one being the tight end unit. Not Jared Cook, but the combination of Jared Cook and Parham. They've come in. Now that unit is getting about double-digit targets a game. That's where the usage has gone. So until it goes back to what it was early in the season, and at this point, I don't see that it does, Mike Williams is going to be a guy that you need to hit the big play with. The only silver lining I'll offer is that the last two weeks, the last two weeks, he's gone back to running more underneath routes, where we had a span there for about a little over a month, where he was going back to his old Mike Williams ways, where they were only having him pretty much run deep and run jump ball patterns, and that was it. He's gone back to running more underneath routes. So at least there might be some more of a floor than we had during that stretch. But you're still ultimately going to need the touchdown. You're ultimately going to need the big play unless a flip switches and we go back to seeing Kean Allen and Mike Williams splitting targets in the double-digit capacity way, which I just don't think is going to happen at this point. I think that ship has sailed. But you can still play him as a wide receiver three. On the Denver side of the ball, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, both RB2s. Gordon's my RB21. Javante Williams is my RB22. We love Javante Williams. We want him to take over. We want it to be him. Until there's an injury to Mike Melvin Gordon, I don't think it's going to happen. If it hasn't happened by now, I don't think it's going to happen. So it's going to take an injury. But it's okay it's okay because they're both still low in RB2s because this offense, even though they have the big contracts now with Cortland Sutton and they re-signed Tim Patrick and they have Jerry Judy back and they have Noah Fant back, this offense still ultimately revolves around the running game, it revolves around the running backs. Both get involved in the passing game, both get a good amount of carries. So you're, as a result, you're going to have some games where they eat into each other and both of them leave you feeling disappointed where they're probably in the low end of the top 36 side. You'll have other games where they both can do well, and maybe they both score, or one of them scores. And now you have two RB2s on your hands. I think in this match against the Chargers, because it's such a great matchup for running backs, you can confidently play both of them as top 24 options. Or at the very least, as flex plays, high-end flex plays at that. So I'm good with Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams because you love this match against the Chargers. The wide receiver's less so. Jerry is my wide receiver, 28. Cortland's Colton Suns my wide receiver 31 and I'm glad he got the contract he deserves it he's a great talent by the way because his lack of production over these past few weeks is not his fault it's a mixture of Teddy Bridgewater and Pat Shermer both of whom I think are gone by next season anyway I do think you're going to see some changes in in the Denver coaching staff because they're too good of a team to not make the playoffs and they're very much in danger of that happening but for now We have to figure out, can you play these guys? I think, Judy, you can. You can play Judy as a safe floor wide receiver three because the targets for him have consistently been there. Now, he doesn't have the touchdown upside of a Tim Patrick, of a Cortland Sutton, or the big play upside of either one of those guys, but he has been consistently targeted more than they have, and therefore he has a decent floor. Before Hunter Renfro became this fantasy superstar that he's become over the past few weeks, I would equate him to a Hunter Renfro where you're going to get probably about six to seven catches, maybe 40 to 60 yards. The key will be doesn't get you anything more than that. But I think that's your base floor, which means he's a wide receiver three that you can play, especially in half point PPR leagues. And just know that you can get, you know, eight to 10 points out of them. I think that's fine. I think it's fine. Cortland Sutton comes in my wide receiver 31, simply because he has the touchdown capability. Simply because he's Cortland Sutton. But he is a boom or bust wide receiver 31. Make no mistake about it. And it doesn't necessarily help that there's more volume. This is one of those situations where when you have multiple targets like this, you want as much volume as you get your hands on because what you're hoping for is that everybody can eat if there's enough to go around. General thinking. But with Teddy Bridgewater, it's, it's the exact opposite. Bridgewater is better, more efficient, and gets his guys the ball more effectively if he can keep his pass attempts at 30 or under. That's the key for him. So if he can keep his pass attempts under 30 or under, again, going back to the running game being the main part of the offense, the rest of these guys work better because Teddy Bridgewater is better. When he has to throw the ball 45, 50 times like he did past couple of weeks, Cortland Sutton walks away with a catch for 12 yards and the whole offense is completely destroyed from a fantasy perspective.
1: You really can sell to anyone from anywhere.
0: This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. /free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors.
2: So that's kind of what you're dealing with here when it comes to Denver. Noah Fant, he's my tight end 11, but he's another big boomer bust type of tight end. Albert O has been annoyingly involved at times so far this offense, and there are just games where a Noah fan just doesn't get looked at. There are a lot of mouths to feed and a quarterback who's not necessarily going to be prolific getting those mouths fed. So I think you play these guys, but you're not overly confident about really any of them. Now, as far as betting this game goes, it's basically a pick'em, as I think you would expect it to be. Denver's the road is the home dog in this one, though. Chargers at minus two and a half. Over under set at 48. So, first and foremost, I'm going to bet the under. You have a divisional rival matchup. You have two teams that at times have decided to be conservative when they should be aggressive. I'm also going to take Denver. I'm not, it's not going to be a lock of the week or anything like that, but I'm going to take in a pick'em game. Give me the home team. If I think teams are about even in their talent, which in this case, I do think they're pretty even, give me the home team. Give me the home team with the points at plus two and a half for Denver. Not going to call it a lock, but that's the way I would lean. I would lean there, and I would lean towards the under. All right, let's head into our next matchup. Let's talk about the Rams and the Green Bay Packers. Big game this week. Game of the week. I'll call it game of the week. So we have a real situation here where these two teams are in competition. I know the Rams still have to leapfrog the Arizona Cardinals for the division, but these two teams are in competition for that number one overall seed to get that bye week because presumably if the Rams can, you know, get off this funk that they were in heading into the bye week and get a string together a few wins, if they win the NFC West, there's a pretty good chance that they're going to get the number one seed if they've already beaten the Packers. It's a big deal for both teams. And you know it's a big deal for the Green Bay Packers. Why? Because Aaron Jones is back practicing. I thought there was no chance. I thought there was no chance, given the Packers' history with their guys and injuries, especially when it comes to Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, where they play at ultra-conservative. I thought there was no chance that Aaron Jones would come back before their bye week in Week 13 with the MCL injury. I didn't think there was any chance at all. Practice yesterday? He practiced today, and then we got reports about it. He's going to be a a game-time decision. If he practices again tomorrow, I'm going to lean towards the side of he's going to play. If Aaron Jones does play, and right now I don't have him ranked because I was not expecting this at all. So this is something that I will update on BillyFantasySports.com in my rankings when we get closer to Sunday. But if he does play, he's a top-12 running back. You have to play him. It's kind of like the Zeke effect. Will he be a guy who has top-five potential? Will he be his normal self, his normal dominant self? Probably not. But is he going to have enough usage? Is he good enough to still be a top-12 guy or at least be a guy that you have to play in your lineups who can score touchdowns? Yeah, absolutely. So if Aaron Jones plays, you play him. And you don't think too much of it. Because I think the one thing that give you some confidence here, too, is that if Aaron Jones plays the Packers must feel pretty confident that he's healthy enough to do so and healthy enough to not be on a limited snap count. Because again, normally speaking, they're going to play it very conservative with their guys. So if he's out there, I have confidence he won't be on a pitch count. Now, as far as A.J. Dillon goes, obviously he'll be greatly affected by whether or not Aaron Jones plays. But I will say this, even if Jones suits up, I think A.J. Dillon can still be played as a low-end RB2, high-end RB3, or a high-end flex play at the very least. I think he can still play him because I still don't expect Aaron Jones to come in there and just throw A.J. Dillon all the way to the wayside. It already has not been like that too much before Aaron Jones got injured. A.J. Dillon didn't have a huge game last week, but had a very good game. And they're not going to put too much wear and tear on Aaron Jones his first week back from an MCL injury, even if he goes so if he goes, I still think I'm going to keep AJ Dillon in my lineup as a flex or a low end RB2 if I can. So you might be able to play both Packers this week. Aaron Rodgers I love I love the jokes going around about him about the COVID toe situation and you know, the report the media I think I think it was Wall Street Journal taking him seriously when he said he had COVID toe. And I, I didn't know COVID toe was actually a real thing until this whole thing came out. Apparently it is. But it's not COVID toe. It is a broken toe. It's a bone issue. There's some talk that he's going to have surgery during the bye week. So right there, that kind of tells you like, all right, even if he has surgery, clearly there would be a quick recovery period from it. So here's what you have to figure. Aaron Rodgers right now is probably playing with a good amount of pain. Probably not going to try to run all that often. So take that off the table. Although that's something he hasn't really been doing much of this season anyway. And then just look the last Sunday when he went off for almost 400 yards and a couple of touchdowns and shows you, hey, I'm still Aaron Rodgers. So you're going to play him as a top 10 quarterback regardless of what's going on with his toe issue. He's QB8. No, he has not practiced this week so far. He didn't practice last week, and he did just fine. He didn't practice leading in into COVID, and he did just fine. So he'll be okay. You can play him as a top 10 guy. Devontae Adams, obviously, he's my wide receiver too. Can you play Marquez Valdez-Scantling? That's, that's the question you have to talk about here because everybody else, you're, you're good to go. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a boom or bust wide receiver for. We've seen big performances out of him in, in the past. We've had instances where he was in position to take over the majority of the volume, second to Vontae Adams, and just put up duds. It doesn't matter if he's the third receiver in routes run or the second receiver in targets. It matters not. He's going to do what he does. He's either going to get the big play or he's going to do nothing from a fantasy standpoint. This Rams team does not give up a ton of big plays. So I would lean towards, I'm sure you can find a better option than Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Not to mention Alan Lazard did practice in limited capacity, so he may be on his way back anyway. So outside Devontae Adams, the running backs, and Aaron Rodgers, I'm not going to want to play anybody against the Rams here. Now, the Rams are interesting in themselves, too. Let's start off with the basics. Matt Stafford. A lot of quarterbacks have been disappointing from a fantasy standpoint, but Matt Stafford in particular, especially the way he started off and over the past couple of weeks, has been finishing outside the top 12 kind of consistently. But the Packers' defense, mark my words, right here, right now. The Packers' defense is not for real. It's not. This is a defense you can very much take advantage of, especially if you are a well-coached, multi-talented, competent offense, which the Rams are. So Stafford comes in QB6. I actually have him two spots ahead of Aaron Rodgers. If you had both Matthew Stafford and Aaron Rodgers on your roster, I'd rather play Stafford in this game. They've had the bye week to get OBJ at least acclimated to the offense enough to be able to play a decent role and be out there for more than he was in that Monday night game against the San Francisco 49ers. Sean McVay kind of coming out and saying so as much when he said, OBJ is going to expect to have a big role. But a big role to me still means a third receiver on that team. I actually do believe it will be Van Jefferson who will operate as the quote unquote Robert Woods of the offense as the number two receiver in routes run in targets. And I'm not a big Van Jefferson fan. I don't think there's anything really that special about him. But I do think he's good enough if you consistently give him enough volume to put up solid fantasy production. With the possibility of being able to hit a big play here or there just given this offense. So Van Jefferson is somebody I do have in my lineups. He comes on my wide receiver 32 and half point PPR leagues this week. I think he's a strong wide receiver three, a strong flex play for you this week. OBJ is a boom or bust wide receiver four. We just don't know yet. We don't know what his role in the office is going to be coming off the bye. We don't know if OBJ can even be, I don't know, 75% of what OBJ used to be or not. We don't know if him and Matthew Stafford can get on the same page. There's just a lot of questions we don't know. To value OBJ as anything more than a boom or bust wide receiver four would be reckless. And if you're playing him, you're hoping you're hoping and praying for a big play and for a touchdown. Because I don't see the volume being there just yet. Now, maybe I'm wrong. And maybe this game will, will answer that question and will tell us that. But I don't see coming out just now that OBJ is going to overtake, let's say, Van Jefferson to have a stable amount of targets, you know, six, seven, or more. I think he's there for a specific role. I think he's there to be more of that. Remember the Brandon Cooks role? And it was a prominent role in that offense. Remember the Brandon Cooks role when he was... The wide receiver three, but he was the deep play guy. I think that's what OBJ is there to be. Van Jefferson, Cooper Cup continues, you know, they'll be the ones getting the majority of the targets. Cooper Cup, my wide receiver one. Until further notice, he is the wide receiver one. I don't think he's ever going to be ranked as anything other than that. Tyler Higby is my top 14 tight end. He comes in right there. He's the top two tight end. You can stream him as a possibility. He's been frustrating. There's no doubt about it. But the one issue is here with, with the way he's been utilized, his targets have not always matched up with his routes run. They definitely have not matched up with his usage inside the red, the red zone. That, that's a big issue there. So... That's why Tyler Higby hasn't been the top 10 tight end I was really expecting him to be. His routes run, his usage, his playing time are all where I projected him to be, but not his touchdowns, not his yardage. Part of that is because Cooper Cubs has been so dominant. But the other part of that, too, is just, you know, Matthew Stafford's able to spread the ball around in a much, much more significant way. Now, let's talk about betting this game. You got the Green Bay Packers. Los Angeles Rams, and it's a pick 'em. It's a pick 'em. Packers are, believe this or not, Packers are actually home dogs, technically speaking. Now, it's one point. They're plus one, or the Rams are minus one, depending on how you want to look at it. So, this is going to come down to do you think the Packers win at home or the Rams win on the road? For me, ultimately, it's going to be no contest. You have two great teams, equal in talent. If the Rams weren't coming off the bye, I'd probably go with the Packers because they're in Green Bay. But since they're coming off the bye, they've had more time to game plan, and Sean McVay is as great as he is. I think there's it's a dead even, and Vegas is seeing it the same way. I will, however, look at the over-under, which is set at 47. I'm going to take the over. I definitely think there's a real shot both of these teams get into the 30s, at the very least the high 20s, I think that is a low over-under for this particular matchup. Give me the over for the Rams and the Green Bay Packers without a doubt. So that I will bet on that game, but not a winner or a loser for that one. Definitely not. Not with these two evenly matched teams. All right, so now we can get into the Minnesota Vikings, the San Francisco 49ers. This is going to be another really close game too. And these are two teams that are basically, I mean, they're a mirror image of each other. They, they really are. They are a mirror image of each other. Not only in an offensive system, right? Because you have the Kubiak system, which is a derivative of the Shanahan system. Gary Kubiak, the Mike Shanahan, now Kyle Shanahan, the Clint Kubiak. But you also have a defenses that play very similar to one another. Rush four, play a lot of cover two man underneath. So it's going to be an interesting game. It's in San Francisco. Where they're not as they're just not as good at home. Although they did they didn't have that big win against the Rams at home. But that, that was the last big win, and really one of the last wins they've had in a long time before that at home. The Minnesota Vikings are the same way. They're better on the road than they are at home. So i will be interesting when we get to the betting part of this game. As far as the fantasy standpoint, I think you can actually have a lot of confidence in playing everybody that you would want to. Obviously, you're playing Dalvin Cook. He's my he's a RB6 for me on the week. Justin Jefferson is a top five receiver. He comes in at wide receiver four for me. Adam Thielen is excellent wide receiver 19. I mean, you're playing all these guys. You feel great about them. You love the fact that you could take advantage of that San Francisco secondary, which is led by old man Josh Norman and not much else. Tyler Conklin's a tight end 17. So he's a little bit lower on that tight end two list maybe outside of my streaming tight ends of what I'm really looking for this particular week. 49ers have been very good against the tight ends for the majority of this season. So I'm probably not going to go the Tyler Conklin route, but Kirk Cousins. So that's the real question. Can you stream Kirk Cousins this week? I'm going to say yes. He comes in my QB11. So he's the top 12 guy for me. He's a QB1. He plays well in San Francisco. He knows the system pretty well, and he can pretty much do to this 49er defense what he needs to do, especially because his wide receivers have the mismatches on the outside that you're looking for. And the game's on the road, and the game's not a primetime matchup. So Kirk Cousins is definitely a streaming option for me this particular week. Same thing can be said on the other side of the ball when it comes to the San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy Graham, or Jimmy Graham, Jimmy Garoppolo, excuse me. He comes in at my QB 13. So Jimmy Garoppolo is my top streaming quarterback on the week coming in at my QB 13. He's been playing well as of late. He's been, I think he's a top three quarterback over the past month. Now, a lot of that had to do with, you know, the first two weeks of this month, he was blowing up, but he was, he's been solid even, even since then. This, the big thing here is that the 49ers offense, they found their identity. And because they found an identity, they are now, now showing more fluidity throughout the game. Something we hadn't seen much out of them. We hadn't seen much out of them. They had been incoherent at times, clunky. For the past month, they've been fluid. They have all their weapons back. And they're allowing Brian Ayuk to be involved again. The running game's getting going again. And as a result, you have a 49er offense in general that is very fantasy relevant from A multitude of players, not just Devo Samuel. And obviously, Debo Samuel, you're playing him. He's the top three wide receiver for me. Elijah Mitchell did practice in limited capacity on Wednesday. I I don't know what the report was today, actually. Uh, I don't remember getting the report on that one just yet. I will make sure I check that back, and I'll I'll get that, guys, out to you on social media at Show, especially tomorrow, anyway, because Friday's going to be the practice report I care the most about. Because the last time Elijah Mitchell practiced, it was still in the blue no contact Jersey with his hand wrapped. So he's doing conditioning drills, but he wasn't actually handling the football yet. I tend to think he will play. I ranked him as my RB 20 this week. So I'm banking on him being able to play, but if he doesn't, then Jeff Wilson will be an RB two. I know it was disappointing out of Jeff Wilson last week against the Jacksonville Jaguars, but the usage was there. He was the lead back. Trey Sermon only came in to spell him and give him breaks here and there. And, most of Trey Sermon's carries because he got up to 10, they came in the fourth quarter when they had that game well in hand against Jacksonville already. I remember, Jeff Wilson should have had a touchdown if Jimmy Garoppolo was anywhere near him with his pass. He was wide open. So it would have been a much better fantasy day anyway. So whether it's Elijah Mitchell or whether it's Jeff Wilson, you're playing them both as RB2s depending upon who's the starter. That's first and foremost. We know we're playing George Kittle. He's my tight end three. So then the other player you have a question about would be Brandon Ayuk. He's on wide receiver 27. Brandon Ayuk, because of his usage now in the offense has been consistent with his snaps and his routes run, he can consistently be played as a wide receiver three. We know his ability, especially after the catch. We know he'll be able to catch touchdowns. We know he has that potential. He'll have a little boom or bust factor to his game. That's why he's a wide receiver three, but he's a strong wide receiver three now. He comes in at wide receiver 27 for me overall. I think you're going to be able to play Brian Ayuk pretty consistently. Look at the schedule of the 49ers the rest of the way. You want to own pieces of this team, trust me, the rest of the way. You do. You do. Because they could all be league winners. Because they have a great schedule all the way from now until Week 17. So I think Ayuk is somebody who's going to be in your lineup more times than not through this fantasy football season. As far as betting this game goes... As you would imagine, it's pretty close. So the rule of thumb is that it's pretty much an automatic minus three for the home team, which is essentially saying it's a pick em. That's what this game is. It's minus three for San Francisco at home against the Minnesota Vikings. I'm going to say no contest on that and the over under set of 49. That line's also on the money. I'm not going to bet this game. This game would go completely one way or another. The only data point I can suggest to you is that San Francisco is still really bad at home, especially covering, which would suggest to me that taking the Minnesota Vikings outright would be the only kind of sneaky bet to be had here. But I'm not going to be putting my money on it. There's just too many range of outcomes for it. All right, so what I'm going to do, I'm gonna take another quick break. When we come back on the other side, we got the Sunday night game, the Monday night game to talk about, and the mailbag segment for you guys. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, and we'll be back right after this this holiday season i'm giving thanks to our friends at manscape do i tell my extended family that i have the performance package 4.0 from the global leaders and below the waist grooming not to mention it includes their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer to tame my bush and score brownie points with the in-laws every in-laws dream gift your manscape or the man in your life who needs it though join the four million men worldwide who trust manscape With 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYOFFANTASY by going to manscaped.com. Think your holiday spread is good? It's time to give thanks to the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, or as I like to call it, the perfect package for your package. Inside, you'll find our Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and hair nose trimmer, crop preserver, ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. Think of it as a cornucopia for your balls. That's 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at manscaped.com. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you.
1: You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show.
2: Gobble 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 gobble. I know that's the last time I'm going to be able to do that for at least this year. I'll, do, I'll break it out again next year. It's a pretty good gobble, at least I think so. Welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening and/or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Streaming to you live on social media at BillyUp MDFF Show, and of course, always live to you on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe. Check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. We're available to you on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Spreaker, wherever you like to go for your podcasting needs, we are there for you as well. I'm your host, Dan Mater. We've been going over the late slate of Week 12 matchup previews. We got the Sunday night game and the Monday night game to talk about along with the mailbag. Before we close this thing down, it's the week of quite a few divisional rival matchups. And Sunday night, we get another one between the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. Now, this game will probably be better from an NFL standpoint than it will be from a fantasy standpoint. Given how these two teams have been playing lately, we might be, unfortunately, in store for a 17-14 to type game. Hopefully, that's not the case. Hopefully, they surprise us and put up some extra points, especially from the guys you need it from. So, Kareem Hunt, that's the big thing. Kareem Hunt has been consistent in saying he is planning to come back and play on Sunday night this week. He was designated from the IR, or at least designated from return. Hasn't been activated yet. The reports are, because they don't actually have to give him an injury designation when he's not off the IR yet, as far as practices, you know, his practice capacity. The sources have been that he is practicing at least in a limited capacity, both yesterday and today. So, we'll, you know, we want to make sure he gets another one in on Friday, which will give us a pretty good confidence that he'll at least play on Sunday. Now, does he walk right in on Sunday and get his normal workload? I'll say this. I think you can confidently expect Kareem Hunt to walk in and get his passing down role right off the bat because it's just something they don't involve Nick Chubb in. And even though they don't involve Nick Chubb in it, and with Kareem Hunt out, like they just haven't bothered throwing the ball to the running backs. (laughs) Like that's that's basically what's happened. Like they just don't bother throwing the ball to running backs. Like, Oh, cream hunts out. Well, we don't throw the ball to Nick Chubb still. We just don't throw the ball to the running backs in general. I don't, I mean, I don't get it. I don't think Nick Chubb can't catch the football here. In fact, he had a receiving touchdown last week. Anyway, I don't understand it, but nonetheless, this seems to be the case. So I do think he will assume that role. How many carries I think will be the question, but at this point, they were very careful with him. They put him on the IR I think if he's getting through practice, fine. I think it's safe to say as far as the calf issue is concerned that you can have some confidence that he's not going to come in on a pitch count because of that. Now, Kareem Hunt's always been the second running back to Nick Chubb anyway. So if he's going to be somebody who gets, let's say, six targets and let's say 10 carries, well, that wouldn't be outside the realm of a Kareem Hunt usage rate to begin with.
0: Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22 shopify.com slash free 22.
2: So I don't think what we're used to seeing cream hunt get is actually going to be limited. I think the question will be, does he get back involved in the red zone to, you know, Nick Chubb owners dismay, of course, but Nick Chubb has been great in that that situation. And if you don't want to give cream hunt a bunch of wear and tear, You know, touches, then that's probably what you would do. You'd probably keep Nick Chubb in that role. So I think the real question is this: because you're playing Nick Chubb's an RB seven for me. You're playing as a top ten tight, uh, top ten or running back. He's an RB one. I think we all understand this. And the Ravens matchup is a good one actually this year. This is not the Ravens defensive bolt. I think the question is: can you play Kareem Hunt as your RB two or as your flex like you were before he went out? I think if you have to, you can. If you've been surviving this time and you've come up with alternative options to get you by while Kareem Hunt's been out, I would maybe want to wait one more week just just to see how he is in the calf injury, just to see if he's going to be back to you being utilized in his role right away, or just to see if he's on a snap count, and then the following week you'd expect him to be back on his role. By the way, when I say the following week, the following game, it wouldn't be until week 14. They had to buy week week 13. It's why, it's why they made this kind of curious to me that they were definitively bringing him back this week knowing they had to buy week next week. But it makes me think, okay, they want to see what happens. If he reaggravates aggravates it, he's got a week to rest and then come back in week 14. So I would probably look for another option, but he will be in my top 36. So I will have him ranked as soon as we get the, well, as soon as we get the word that he's going to be activated. I will have him ranked in that area where you can use him as a flex play. He'll have that value. Again, it goes back to I think we can assume he gets his passing role right back. I don't have any questions about that. Does he had the upside to score? That's be my that will be my question. They do need him though. They need him back in a big way because this offense is is putrid and they need Chubb, and they need Kareem Hunt to lead the way, because Baker Mayfield can't get it done right now. So I th- he'll be a top 36 play, but I think if you've had alternative options up until this point, they've been doing well for you, maybe wait a week to see exactly how he's doing. There's nothing else to talk about with the Browns. Can't- Jarvis Landry, I-, I know he had the rushing touchdown last week, but Baker Mayfield's not throwing the ball more than 20 times in a game. And even with Donald Peoples Jones and OBJ gone, because Jarvis Landry's been so hindered by that knee injury, he doesn't have normal floor he used to have that you could depend upon and at least use him as a wide receiver three. And then if he had a big game, you know, be able to be happy about that. It'd be like the icing on the cake. But you're mostly playing him for his floor. He doesn't have that. So I don't think you're playing Jarvis Landry. I don't think you're playing anybody else besides Nick Chubb and maybe Kareem Hunt if you need to. On the Ravens side of the ball, we get good news with injuries. We got a lot of guys coming back this week. That, that's pretty much been the good news as far as this matchup goes. Lamar Jackson been practicing, so clearly he's doing better coming off the illness. And we have Marquise Brown. He's been practicing back-to-back days coming off the thigh injury. I expect both of them to go. Obviously, Marquise Brown, he's a top 10 wide receiver. Or no, I'm sorry. He's not a top 10 wide receiver. He's wide receiver 21. Now, part of that is because it's his first week back. We want to make sure he's actually healthy coming off of that. I don't think his... I don't think his routes or snap count's going to be limited in capacity, though. The other part of that is the Browns' defense is expected to be healthier this week in the secondary, in the pass rush. So I just... Marquise Brown still ultimately is a wide receiver one for me most weeks. It's just this week I have him ranked wide receiver 21. I, just, I would lower my expectations on him for this week coming back. But he's still going to be in your lineups. It's still in his top 24 play, so I'm still starting Marquise Brown. And that's ultimately all you care about. The backfield is the other story. So it looked like, it looked like Devonta Freeman took over the job last week. That's what it looked like. Now, it's a very fluid situation, I believe. And if Latavius Murray were to get hot, maybe they would roll with him. I do. And I also understand part of it is that I don't think Latavius Murray's 100% yet. However, I don't know what 100% Latavius Murray actually looks like. I don't know if it's any different because he doesn't have any explosiveness left anymore anyway. And even when he was out there before he got injured, believe it or not, Devonta Freeman looked like he had more pot when they ever would give him run. So I think Devonta Freeman is here to stay as the lead running back. I have him ranked as RB26, so I have him as a strong RB3 play, a strong flex play this week. When you're the lead running back of the Baltimore Ravens, you have the best chance to score a touchdown. And it happens at a pretty consistent rate in this offense too. So he might only have like 50 yards because that seems to be kind of his ceiling. He might only have two or three catches also seems to be kind of his ceiling, but he has touchdown capability against a Browns team has been giving up touchdowns. to the running back pretty consistently this season too. So Devonta Freeman is somebody I think you can go ahead and plug and play in your flex. I'm not going to touch Latavius Murray with a 10 foot pole though. That's not going to happen. as far as the other options go, because everyone wants to know now, okay, can we play Rashad Bateman? He's my wide receiver 39. So he's a high-end wide receiver four. I think you can, he's in the flex conversation depending upon what you have available to you. But we still haven't had the question answered yet. What happens when there's a healthy Marquise Brown, a healthy Sammy Watkins, and a healthy Rashad Bateman on the field with a healthy Lamar Jackson all at the same time? We got a glimpse of it for one week, but remember, that was the first week Sammy Watkins was back. He wasn't playing a full snap count yet. Now, I do think Rashad Bateman has overtaken Sammy Watkins as the number two receiver. Let's not get that twisted. But Bateman needs a certain amount of volume that we know he's going to get in order to make him a top 36 play. And against the Browns, while their defense has been very Jekyll and Hyde this year, This is not exactly a defense I think is ripe for the taking necessarily. So there's some things I want to see. So I think you can play him in your flex if you don't have another option, but I think you're playing him as more of a floor play, not so much a ceiling play. I don't think he has a high potential this game. I don't think he has wide receiver two potential this game. Moving forward is a different story. I think moving forward as he establishes himself as Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown on the field at the same time and a more consistent rate and are done getting sick or, pulling thighs i think rashad bateman will creep up and probably be a mid-level wide receiver three on a week-to-week basis for me in my rankings moving forward but for this week i don't think he's a must play and obviously mark andrews my number one tight end on the week with travis kelsey on a bye let's oh before we do that i was gonna say let's hit the monday night game but we got to talk about betting this game first So it's a minus 3.5 line for the Baltimore Ravens at home. The over-under set at 47. Now, the over-under I'm not going to touch. When these two teams play each other, we're either going to get a ton of points or we're going to get no points. It's like there's nothing in between. But I am going to take the Ravens at minus 3.5 over the Cleveland Browns because it's at home and Lamar's healthy. The Ravens are a terrific home team. Baker Mayfield stinks. So those two factors combining... Make me call the Baltimore Ravens at minus three and a half one of my lock bets of the week. So go ahead and plug in the Baltimore Ravens. Now we can get to the Monday night game Seattle and Washington. So DK Metcalf didn't practice today, still dealing with that foot issue, but it's been an ongoing issue that he's been dealing with and he's been out there. Now he hasn't been effective, but of course, all of that's not really on him. There's a lot of blame to go around for Russell Wilson and for Pete Carroll as well. I mean, I don't know if you guys realize this, but Seattle has the by far slowest pace offense in the NFL, which is stupid. We know they've been annoyingly slow paced ever since they've had Russell Wilson, quite frankly. But to be the slowest-paced offense in the NFL, when you have no running game since Chris Carson went down, you have Russell Wilson, one of the better quarterbacks. I know he's not playing like it this year. I know he was banged up. You have Russell Wilson, one of the better quarterbacks. You have Tyler Lockett. You have DK Metcalf, which is more firepower than most offenses have. And you're the slowest-paced offense in the NFL. Slower than the Jets. Slower than the Houston Texans. (laughs) It makes no sense. Ultimately, I think that's the reason Pete Carroll is going to go. I think Pete Carroll's done. I think Seattle has to face a decision this season. Either lose out on Russell Wilson or fire Pete Carroll and bring in a coach who's from the 21st century. And I think they're going to choose the latter. I think they're going to choose to keep Russell Wilson and send Pete Carroll packing. Because your offense is, you're still a playoff team, with the roster you have, if you actually just play modern day football, but they're not. So what does that mean for this week? Okay, well, here's the deal. I came out of last week and I said, I'm going to look for every reason in the world that I can to keep Russell Wilson out of my top 12. Because at this point, I want to see Russell Wilson have a good fantasy day before I ever expect him to do it again. That narrative does ring true with the exception of the fact they're playing the Washington football team this, this Monday night. The Washington football team can do wonders for quarterbacks. We saw Cam Newton come off the street and have a top 10 performance. Now, Russell Wilson's not going to run like him because he has been doing it all year. But he also can throw the ball a heck of a lot better. And he's got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett to do it. So Russell Wilson does manage to get inside. Not inside. He's at my QB 12. So he's a low on QB one. He just makes my QB1 cutoff. But I think you can consider playing Russell Wilson if you have him. Now, here's my caveat to that. At this point, given you know the length of his injury and quarterbacks being a plenty out there, at this point, you probably could still find a better option, even in 12-man leagues. At this point, you probably have a better option. So I'm not against benching Russell Wilson, even though he's a top 12 quarterback. Let's say, for instance, You have Kirk Cousins. I've had Kirk Cousins this entire time. A very real scenario. Let's say, for instance, you have Joe Burrow. I would definitely play Kirk Cousins and or Joe Burrow over Russell Wilson, even against Washington. But he's not a must-sit, even though we haven't seen it, because it's Washington. Assuming DK Metcalf's going to be okay with the foot injury, he comes in my wide receiver 14, Tyler Lockett my wide receiver 17. I will say this, Tyler Lockett, you know, for as bad as the Seattle team has been, he had a good game against Jacksonville. Then, of course, he had the dud after the bye. But then he had a good game last week. We had four catches for over 100 yards. So I think you have a little more confidence right now in locking do DK Metcalf because it's been longer since we've seen Metcalf really put together a big fantasy performance. But against Washington, they don't have anybody who can match up. And without Chase Young, they don't have a very good pass rush. And that's really been the big Achilles heel for the Seattle team is that the pass rush with the slow paced offense and the injury to Russell Wilson has really just kept him uncomfortable. Well, you can kind of take one of those elements out and that might lead to a better performance here. I'll say this too, and this is just me conjecturing on this point, but they got to show some urgency. This is too good of a team to go down and be a sub 500 team for the rest of the year. And while they might be probably on the outside of the playoffs looking in at this point, I do think Seattle's a team with a lot of pride and are going to at least try to finish out the season strong. You don't do that until, unless you start showing some urgency and start picking up the pace on offense. I don't know if I don't know if Pete Carroll's just so old and so set in his ways, he refuses to do it. But this would be the nice time to do it against this Washington defense that can't stop much. This would be a nice time to break it out, get confident, and get in a rhythm with it moving forward. So I think it's possible, but ultimately this matchup, even if they stay slow paced, There's fantasy points to be had. Now, we can talk about the running game real quick. I do have Alex Collins at RB27. Again, that has more to do with the matchup than anything else. And Alex Collins is going to be the first and only starting, I shouldn't say the only one because I don't really care about Rex Burkhead of Houston either, but one of two starting running backs in the league that I'm going to tell you, you never have to play. I'm going to tell you You don't necessarily have to roster. Now, I know I have him as an RB3 this week. Again, it has to do with the matchup. But Alex Collins hasn't seen more than 10 carries, even as a starter in over a month, or I think about a month now. Hasn't scored touchdowns. And because they're so slow-paced, again, the, the volume, it hasn't been there. You see, he's a starting running back who still doesn't get the ball. He doesn't catch the ball because that's DJ Dallas and, and Traver, Travis Homer, whichever one they feel like throwing in there that week. So you don't have to play Alex Collins. I have him an RB3, I have him a flex play. But you can find better options if, you, if so be it. And honestly, moving forward, he could be on your roster because he's starting running back. I don't know if you're ever going to play him. And if you're a playoff-bound team, you might be better suited taking a lotto ticket than having Alex Collins on the back end of your bench. Which is, it's just crazy to say about a starting running back, but it's, it's the truth. As far as Washington's concerned, I love Terry McLaurin in this game. Had a nice performance last week. You're hoping they can get it going. You know, he has the talent to perform to that level any given week. And you like the matchup against Seattle. He does make my top 10. He is a wide receiver one for me heading into this matchup against Seattle. Antonio Gibson, RB 15. You got to love what you've been seeing on Antonio. They got into the bye week. He got the rest that he needed, apparently. He's come back out on the other side. He looks healthy. He looks spry. No, he's not getting involved in the passing game, but that ship sailed a long time ago this season. That's that's not what you're expecting of Antonio Gibson anymore. No, he doesn't have RB1 potential, even in a nice matchup like this against Seattle. But he is a strong RB2. And I think there's a strong chance he gets a touchdown this game. At least one and is effective on the ground. But J.D. McKissick, also a wide receiver, 30. There is a scenario here where Seattle does put it together offensively, and we get a little bit of a shootout going on, or maybe Washington has to come back from behind. But even in neutral game scripts now, J.D. McKissick is getting enough of the passing game, especially in full-point PPR, but even in half-point PPR, where he can be considered a flex option. Obviously, there's a low floor that comes with that, because if he doesn't see five-plus targets in that game, he might do nothing but he's still an option in this game, something to contemplate in that position. As far as the injury news goes, Curtis Samuel practiced. He actually looks like he's on his way back, and I don't care about him from a fantasy standpoint. Not this week, not at all this season. Even when he's been out there, we haven't seen him be utilized, and who knows when he's going to get a full snap count. He's been hurt for so long, I have to imagine in this game, he might be active, but he's not going to play, you know, a starter level of snaps for a wide receiver. There's no way they haven't been able to get this guy out in the field. The second pass catcher might be Logan Thomas, who's also on his way back. Finally got over whatever the setback was a couple of weeks ago. No Ricky Seals Jones. He hasn't been practicing. He's probably going to be out again this week. So they need Logan Thomas to return. They need a second pass catcher down the field. He comes in at my tight end 13. So he's my top streaming option, quote unquote. Although hopefully at this point, you'd own Logan Thomas anyway. You've just been streaming guys for him. We know what he can do. We know what he can be in this offense. We know they need a touchdown go-to guy. We know they need another pass catcher. That could very well be Logan Thomas. He could walk in, even if he's just Ricky Seals-Jones, think about that. Ricky Seals-Jones was a guy who was getting six to eight targets a game and was a top 12 tight end most weeks in the absence of Logan Thomas, who's better than Ricky Seals-Jones. So why couldn't he at least give you something similar to that, if not more, because he is more talented? So having a tight end 13, he's a he's a, a playable option. And I think the rest of the way, if you've been looking for tight ends, he was on my waiver report this past week. I think you might be able to solidify the position for you moving forward too. All right, let's talk about betting this game. It is a flat out pick 'em. Think about that for a second. Now, I know this game is in Washington, but think about that. That is how bad Seattle has been. A team that from a talent perspective in Washington should not be considered on the same level of Seattle is a pick 'em game because Seattle has been downright putrid. The over under set at 46 and a half. I'm gonna go on a limb here. I'm gonna go out a limb and by the way, just for the record, this game is on my birthday. So I'm gonna make a birthday bash pick and I'm going to take Seattle for the pick'. I'm gonna put my money on them to win outright. And by the way, while it's a pick'em game on the line, It is plus 105 for Seattle if you take them on the money line where it's minus 125 for Washington on the money line. So I'm going to take the Seattle Seahawks outright against Washington on the road. They finally get back into the win column against the team they should beat on my birthday for me to win some money. Uh, That's that's what I'm going to put out there. Obviously, it's not an upset pick, but I will take the, the positive money line there for the win outright. All right, guys, guess what time it is mail's here Time. all right remember if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment all you got to do is hit us up on social media at billy up MDFF show i will answer all of your questions and help you guys out all throughout the year because i want you guys to win championships and i'm a tool here for you that's why i do this show in the begin with but i'll pick out a few of my favorite ones i'll give you guys shout outs on the show and we'll talk about them here so first up we got seth he needs one for his flex position this week. He's got Javante Williams, Ramondre Stevenson, or Alex Collins. So we can roll out Alex Collins right away because he's not going to stay in the same volume. We can rule out Ramondre Stevenson because he just got hurt in practice, so we don't know exactly what his availability is even going to be. So ding, 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 by default, it's Javante Williams. Now, by the way, even if it wasn't for those scenarios with the other two players, it would still be Javante Williams, like I talked about earlier in this show. He's a top 24 running back for me. You love the match against the Chargers. Even if you're splitting work with Melvin Gordon, this offense revolves around the running game. So Javante Williams for me, Seth. Next up, we got Landon. Should I start Tyrod Taylor or Russell Wilson? That's a great question to lead off of what we were just talking about. So Tyrod Taylor was somebody I talked about in yesterday's show during the early slate window of games. Again, go back and check that out on your favorite pod streaming app. He's my QB 16, so he's actually not that far away from Russell Wilson. You can make the argument they're in the same vicinity of each other. I'm still going to stick with Russell Wilson. He's my QB 12. So obviously I have him rate higher. It's the matchup against Washington. That Houston Jet game could be 13 to 10. Now, I'm not saying the Seattle-Washington game couldn't be too the way they're playing, but I do think more points are going to be scored on Monday night out of Seattle. I think there was if there was ever a week that Russell Wilson could flip the switch and get right, it would be this match against Washington. So this is why I'm going to roll the dice and play him this week. If he doesn't do it in this game, then I think you could probably drop Russell Wilson because I don't know if he's ever going to do it again this season. So give me Russell Wilson, and I'll make a break week over Tyrod Taylor. Andrew, he asked me, do I start Jerry Judy or Brandon Ayuk? So I have Brandon Ayuk exactly one spot ahead of Jerry Judy. I have him 27th. I have Judy at 28th. So, obviously, I have them neck and neck. They both have... Judy has a, a better floor because he gets more targets than Brian Iyuk sees, at least on a consistent basis anyway. But Brian Ayuk has a much higher ceiling to score a touchdown. So, I have him one spot. Obviously, they're very close, but I'm going to call on Ayuk because he has a better potential ceiling than a Jerry Judy does heading into this matchup. Especially against the Minnesota Vikings, you like that too. Frank, would you play OBJ or Van Jefferson this week? Another great question of what we talked about. So, just based on the words of Sean McVay and, and based on the timeline of OBJ being there, he hasn't been there for very long. I would expect Van Jefferson, in his skill set and his knowledge of the offense, to act more as the Robert Woods of this team. Therefore, he's going to have a much higher floor with more expected volume, more expected snaps, more expected routes run. Where OBJ, I believe, is stepping into that third receiver role to be more of the guy down the field to open up all three levels of the field. And he's still getting acclimated to the offense. He still needs to get a rapport with Matt Stafford. Maybe OBJ has more DFS value, has more of a ceiling upside than a Van Jefferson does. But if you're talking redraft leagues, which we are in this scenario, definitely give me Van Jefferson as a nice, strong wide receiver three play this week over an OBJ. And, you know, hopefully as we move forward, we'll get some more answers to our questions when it comes to this receiver split moving into the future. That's going to do it for the show, guys. I hope you all enjoyed it. Make sure you're tuning in to our social media account at bellyupmdffshow. Make sure you're subscribing to the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. Check us out on your favorite pod streaming app. Listen to this show and listen to yesterday's show if you didn't catch it before your matchups on Sunday. I'm Dan Mater. You guys have a lovely weekend, and we'll see you soon.